I am told that there is a selling technique that is called the bait and switch method. And this is how it works. A retailer would entice people through advertising to come into his store by offering a well-known brand name merchandise for a very low price. And when the buyer comes in to purchase that particular brand, he would be informed that uh, that brand is out of stock. And then immediately he would be offered an inferior brand, an inferior merchandise, probably for more money. The brand name that was used to gain the customer's confidence, the brand name that was used to bring the customer into the store, is not there. But an inferior product was. When I read this in a similar way, I believe the apostate church and the false teachers of our day They use biblical words, they use biblical terms to capture and gain the seeker's ears. They talk about Christ, redemption, the cross, the resurrection, without believing the true meaning of these words. They use these trusted terms, which to them are nothing short of a bait-and-switch technique. And in reality... They do not really believe them. They do not live under its authority. The seller there employs these techniques to advertise the truth, which as far as they are concerned, is out of stock. As far as they are concerned, it is out of order. As far as they are concerned, it is out of fashion. As far as they are concerned, they are out of step with modern day. Because... When the interested person responds, he is confronted with belief system, he is confronted with a behavior pattern that is contrary to the Word of God. I remember asking a minister one time on the West Coast, not in this city, many years ago. I asked him one time, why does he often use the word, the risen Christ? The risen Christ. In his liturgy and in his sermon, always talked about the risen Christ. I said, why do you keep using that term when you have told me that you did not believe that Jesus rose from the grave? He said, very simple. It was very simple. It was cold and calculated, but was simple. Number one, he said, I believe that Jesus' soul was risen just like every dead person. But I also, secondly, the few conservatives who give most of the money like this stuff. <laughs> he meant the believers. Called them Conservatives. The first characteristics about your enemy and the enemy of your soul is deception. The first thing you need to know about his characteristics is that he is a deceiver. He's a distorter, duplicator, deviant, and deluded, which we'll look at next message. But today we're going to see his primary characteristics, and that is deception. Names such as devil and Satan are very significant words. Don't dismiss them because they mean deceiver, slanderer. That is what the characteristic of your enemy is all about. There is one thing about deceivers that you must know, right up front. And it is this. Deceivers begin by deceiving themselves first, and then they succeed in deceiving others. They delude themselves first, then they're able to delude others. We saw, first of all, how Lucifer was... One of the most beautiful of all the created angelic beings that God created. He was there in the presence of God. He had access to the throne of God. 
But then he became full of pride. He wanted to dethrone God. He wanted to sit on the throne of God. He wanted to sit in God's place. He was prideful. He did not want to be obeyer of God's command. He wanted to be God. And consequently, God threw him out of heaven. Then we saw how Satan has copied the hierarchical structure of the angelic beings into his own satanic activities. Devils of all rank and class. And how he uses those fallen beings, those fallen angels, those demons to oppress, harass, and distress the believers in Jesus Christ. Today, and the next message, we're going to examine your enemy's characteristics. His characteristics. And the question I want you to be thinking about as I'm going through this sermon today. I want you to think about this question. You can only ask it of yourself, and you can only answer it to yourself, not to anybody else. Do I resemble my real enemy or my Lord Jesus Christ? Is my lifestyle modeled on the character of the enemy of my soul or the character of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I imitate the enemy of God or do I endeavor to imitate the Savior of my soul? Do I deceive, slander, and malign or do I encourage, uplift, and uphold? Think about this as we go through this message. The first thing you need to know about deception, it is this. It is the primary characteristic of your enemy and the enemy of your soul. Write it down. And your enemy never comes to you and said, Now, uh, Mr. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so, I want to deceive you today. <laughs> He's too clever for that. He knows that will not be deception. Someone said, Satan is not fighting churches. He is joining them. For he does more harm by sowing tares than by pulling up wheat. He accomplishes more by imitation than outright opposition. In fact, the most dangerous lie of all is the lie that resembles the truth. <laughs> Many years ago, I read the story, and I'm, even if I've told the story, it would have been a long time ago. There was a man who was going to a costume party, and he dressed up in the stereotypical of our knowledge of what the devil looks like. So he dressed up in the devil's clothes, and he looked like a devil. And he got in his car to the costume party, and then the car gave up on him. It broke down a country road, and he got stuck. <laughs> so he looked there across a field, and then he saw little light coming from a building. And then as he came close to that building, it's the only light he could see, it was a church. So there were a group of people in that church gathered together. He forgot that he's dressed the way he's dressed. He said, these Christian folks can help me fix my car. So he goes in, up in the front door. Well, the crowd, they see him, and they panic. They rush out the windows, out the doors, at the back doors, the front doors. They just could not wait to get out of the place. Except for a little old lady. She was standing there on her stick. She held her stick out to him, and she said, Now, listen, devil, you know I've been a member of this church for 50 years, but I've been on your side all that time. <laughs> this week, as a matter of fact, I read about the man who went to his doctor. After a thorough physical examination, he said, Doctor, give it to me straight. Give it to me in plain English. I can take it. Just tell me what's wrong with me. Well, the doctor said, do you really want to know? He said, oh, yes, I can take it. Just give it to me in plain English. Well, the doctor said, well, there is really nothing wrong with you, except you're just lazy. And the man thought for a minute. He said, okay, give me the medical term so I can tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Satan operates 
in the realm of denial of the truth. That's where he operates. When Satan came to Eve in the garden, he didn't say to her, Eve, if you obey me instead of God, you and all my fallen angels are going to be in the lake of fire, which has been prepared for us. No, they'll be stupid. And the devil is not stupid. And that is not what he taught. The Bible said in Revelation 12, 9, he said the devil is the one who deceived the whole world. Where can he begin deceiving the whole world? First of all, he began by taking third of the angelic being. He deceived them and got them into trouble. So if he's going to deceive the whole world, he then went to the premier parents. He went to Adam and Eve. And he knew if he can get them, he can get the rest. So he deceived them in order to be able to deceive the world. You know the problem with the story of Adam and Eve, their creation is so well known to most Christians that they really take it for granted and they do not stop to reflect upon the deception of the enemy of God. Satan didn't come out Eve and said, well, look Eve, God is a good God and all that stuff, but he really lied to you. That's exactly what he really said plainly. That's what he said. But he's too subtle for that. He's too subtle. He's in effect said, Eve, did really God say it that way? (laughs) Did you hear it right? Did you really understand it that way? And you know what he did? Please listen carefully. He made it possible for Eve to debate the issue. Listen, if Satan can get you, can get me to begin to debate any of the issues that have settled in the Word of God, he's two-thirds of the way through. (laughs) You're a dead duck. If he gets you to begin to debate it, if he gets you to debate the rightness and the wrongness of cheating on your income tax, he's two-thirds of the way there. If he gets you to debate the rightness and the wrongness of getting close to somebody of the opposite sex other than your spouse... He is two-thirds of the way there. If he gets you to debate the rightness and the wrongness of faithfully walking with God and dependent on God and in intimacy with God, he is two-thirds of the way there. Why? Because these issues have already been settled in the Word of God. Because God has already spoken on these issues and there is no doubt of what God meant by them. I want to give you some examples today of how Satan works. As you listen to some of these five examples, you're going to realize that I'm not a stranger to this character. I want to expose his lies and deception in the Christian church today. He'll come and say to some people, doesn't God really want every baby to be born into this world to be a wanted baby? Oh yeah, that's right, he does. (laughs) At this point, he's two-thirds of the way there. Why? And then he continues. If the baby is not wanted, doesn't abortion mean a merciful answer to your dilemma? And then the uninformed person says, Oh, yes, of course it is. And that is why we end up murdering millions of babies in this country every year. He would come to someone and he would say, you have a problem in your marriage, don't you? Yes. And the demon continues. 
Don't you think that God wants you to be happy? <laughs> In this country, this is, a, this is a very magical word, you know. Oh, of course. God wants me to be happy. But you're not happy, are you? No, as a matter of fact, I'm miserable. He's two-thirds of the way there. Ah, now let me tell you. You know Snookum's up on the fourth floor or <laughs> the other building or church or whatever? She's going to make you happy. He's going to make you happy. And then we end up with half Christian marriages end up in divorce. Now, I am not dismissing the fact that there are other heartbreaking circumstances in this whole mess. I'm giving you an example of how I watched him work in lives of people. Third example. One of the demons who come to some folks and says, well, you know, the Bible is a great book, isn't it? Oh, yeah, the Bible is a great book. Yes. Do you really think that God would write these things about bloodthirsty people and, and, and all these terrible things that are happening in, to babies in the Bible? How do you think a loving God can do this? Now, don't get me wrong. I am for the Bible as the next guy. You know what? He's two-thirds of the way there. In fact, he continues to say, you know what? I'll tell you what you do with the Bible. Put it inside a lovely golden cover from both sides. Ornaments. Very expensive cover. And you know what you can do? You can ceremoniously walk in the middle aisle in the ceremony of your church and lift it up. And as a matter of fact, I'll tell you what you can do. Read it several times in the church. But don't believe what's in it. And that's how we ended up with more than 80% of the mainline clergy do not believe that the Bible is God's self-revelation. Or take another deception that persists in many churches today. Enormous deception. I think it's a good thing for you to go to church. It's wonderful. Go a couple of times a year, maybe once a year. You know, when you're not busy, when you're not on the golf course, when you're not doing this, when you're not entertaining, when you're not, it's a good thing to do. It won't hurt you. After all, you know, a loving God is not going to send anybody to hell. How could he be called a loving God? That whole concept of hell was really just created by them fundamentalist preachers. They're the ones who, who came up with this idea of hell. These fundamentalist preachers, you know, they, they created this whole concept of hell. You know why? Because they don't like people to have fun. <laughs> they joy kill. These evangelicals, they just love to spoil your fun. Go ahead, live exactly the way you want. After all, God is not going to send you to hell. Or just think of the billions of people who rejected Jesus Christ. Do you think they're going to go to hell too? <laughs> At least you're a member of a church. Your name is on the rolls. You go there once a year. You're better than them. You'll be all right. But if you end up in hell, you're not going to be alone. You're going to get a lot of people with you. Good company. And so today, we have millions of church-going folks, names on the church rolls, who are in denial of the very heart and soul of the gospel of Christianity. Or take the matter of ordination of women to the pastorate and the church priesthood. This is actually how it happened. One of Satan's serpents spoke to someone and said, You know that God is a God of equality? Oh, of course he is, yes. God is a God of equality. Paul said that there is no Jew, no Gentile, male, no female. Of course we are equal in the sight of God when it comes to our salvation. 
But he said, now God is a God of equality. What is really Paul saying here about male authority in the church? You've got to destroy that. Because what Paul is saying here is not really what God said in Genesis 3. He's not expounding on what God had taught from the cover to cover in the Bible. The real problem is that Paul hated women. And he did not like them exercise authority over men. Paul is a hater of women. Throw that part out. He was Jewish, you know. So was Jesus. And thus now, we have so many of the cold, so-called evangelical seminaries whose theologians are teaching and saying that we've got to distinguish between what Paul the Apostle is saying and what Paul the Jewish rabbi is saying. As John Stott said, once you get in those slippery slopes, who is going to decide? Who's going to decide? Do you know that it is easier to believe a lie that has been given to you or that you have heard a thousand times than the truth to which you're exposed to only smittily. You will believe a lie once you're exposed to it many times. And you know that is why the media and their whole world system is conspiring, continuously conspiring to make the believers believe one lie after another. And I dare say that most of us, including myself, have fallen into one of these lies. All because we do not understand the nature and the character of our enemy. He was a deceiver From the beginning. You know when the Pharisees were rejecting Jesus who is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The full embodiment of the truth of God was in Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees rejected him. Listen to what Jesus said to them in John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desire. Wait a minute Lord. (laughs) These are the bishops of the church you're talking about. These are the religious leaders of the church. This is the hierarchy of the church. Well ask Jesus, don't ask me. He said he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks according to his nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. And these religious leaders were taken in by Satan. You know what I think? Um, This is a personal opinion. I can't give you exact chapter and verse although I'm going to get close to it in Timothy chapter 4. But I honestly believe in my own heart. And as I spend time in fasting and prayer before the Lord, and as I look at the world and I see what's going on, and I cry before God, I am convinced in my own heart that as Satan is sensing that his end is near, that the time is getting close for his deception to be exposed and he be thrown into the lake of fire, the more the time draws near, the more he turns on the heat of deception, even among those who are elect of God, even among those who are saved, even those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are falling in some of his deceptions. A few years ago, I have a precious brother whom I love dearly. He worships in one of those churches that deny the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth. He called me one day. He was so excited. He said, listen, good news, good news. I said, what's happening? He said, our minister mentioned Jesus by name in the sermon yesterday. That is a good first positive step. I must confess to you, I did not know whether to be angry or to weep. 
I find weeping to be much healthier than being angry, so I wept. No wonder the Apostle Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1, listen carefully please, now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times that some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Paul was anticipating what is already happening, taking place in the church today, that Satan will try to dominate the religious realm so that he can be in power, that he can be in authority. And so those who mouth the name of Christ in the name of Christianity bear no resemblance whatsoever to the truth of the word of God. That's what it taught in many a Sunday school around the country and from the pulpits in the name of God today subtly denies the truth of God's word. I want to tell you something. If you think that the devil is going to come into the church doors and he says, uh-uh, that's not a place for me. You're already being deceived. For Satan has now moved into many a church. He has planted his standards to be their standards. He has placed his falsehood to be their gospel. He has placed his emissaries in their leadership. He has entrenched his doctrine to be their own. How does he do it? Very simply, he mixes a little bit of the truth with an ocean of deception, an ocean of falsehood. I remember a story I read some time ago about a very well-known British art critic. His name is Devine. Devine went to the ocean one day and took his little daughter with him, and they were having fun, having a picnic. But he could not persuade her to get into that chilly water of the Atlantic. So finally he had an idea. He built a fire. And there he heated a tea kettle with some water in it. And then with great flair he poured that steamy water into the ocean. At that point the child gleefully ran into the ocean without further hesitation. This of course was a father's harmless trick. Yet that's exactly what Satan does. He mixes a small amount of the truth into the ocean of falsehood. And people wade into it by the millions. Not realizing how they are being deceived. You see, Satan came to Eve. And he came to her not just out of the blue. I am convinced in the language of the Hebrew is that he kept coming to her. He kept coming. He kept talking to her. Persuading her again and again. And just remember that before the fall, Adam named all the animals. He named all the reptiles. They were not frightening and hurtful creatures like they are now. I probably think that Adam would just sit with the lions and, and all the what we could consider to be vicious wild animals today. Because they became vicious after the fall. Everything fell apart after the fall. So Satan wanted to speak to Eve. Finally wanted to get to her. How would he do it? The one animal that is known in that animal kingdom. For its prudence. That's the exact literal translation of the word. Not craftiness or wisdom. Well wisdom and craftiness give you the idea. But prudent. The serpent was known for being prudent. So when Satan spoke to Eve, he spoke to her in a form of prudence. 
He spoke to her in a form of wisdom. He spoke to her in forms of logic. He spoke to her in form of common sense. He spoke to her in terms of social acceptability. He spoke to her in terms of forms of social conformity. And you know, as I, I read the scripture, every time I read it, it's all brand new to me. And I thank God for that because I never want to get stale. I looked at this again in chapter 3. I couldn't help but notice. I noticed some incredible things here. How much Eve knew the will of God. She knew the command of God. She knew the love of God. She knew fellowship with God. But he got her to debate the issue. Is what God really said really God's word? And her sin began when she began to substitute natural reasoning... For divine knowledge. Natural reasoning. For divine knowledge. And I want to tell you. And I testify to you. If you ever do that. And fall in that trap. You brother, sister in trouble. When Eve listened. To the whisper of Satan. That was the beginning of the end. Satan takes a little bit of the truth. In an ocean of falsehood. And makes it look good. I want to tell you as I travel across this land. You know what I hear Christians be saying? Oh, we want a church that meets our needs. That's deception number 1A premier today. You know why? There isn't a soul alive today that can meet your needs. The pastor can't meet your needs. The Sunday school teacher can't meet your needs. Nobody can meet your needs except the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Satan knows that. So people now go to church is what I can get out of the church. What is me going to get out of the church? What is me is going to benefit from going to church? Now, here's the truth. Is when you come to worship the living God and you bow before him and you fall before his majesty and you honor him and you glorify him and he said, God, you are the creator of the world. God, you are the savior of my soul. When you do that, God meets your needs. But look how he twists it. Ah, you got to meet the needs of the people first. And eventually God is going to come out of the formula. Watch it. 10 to 20 years from now, the churches that are built on meeting needs and are going to be in existence today. Because they have fallen in the deception. And they replaced the honor and the majesty and the glory of God, the God of the church, with needs. Don't fall in that deception. Eve listened to the whisper of Satan, questioning the word of God. Did God really say, doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't God want me to have my needs fulfilled? And then her developing of her cynical attitude began by doubting the word of God. Do you know Satan's number one endeavor is to reproduce himself in others? And his children especially. But guess what? That's exactly what God wants to do too. Well, you've got two competing people here. God wants you and wants me to conform to the image of his beloved son. And every day of your life, every day of my life, we are to conform to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully, I'm getting very close. Every time Satan succeeds in reproducing himself in you or reproducing himself in me, he does it through a lie. 
But when God succeeds in producing himself in you, he producing himself in me, he does it through the truth. You know, throughout the New Testament, there is one exhortation after another in regard to the use of the tongue. Why? Because the tongue is the instrument through which we so often give place to the devil. And if Satan is to reproduce himself in us, he will begin by persuading us to practice deception, to practice gossip, to practice maligning others, to practice imputing others' motives, to practice leveling false accusation, to practice spreading false rumors, to practice murmur. If he's going to succeed, that's how he'll begin. Remember my question that I asked you in the beginning of this message. I said, keep thinking about it throughout the message. Who do you resemble? Whom do you model? Whom do you imitate? The enemy of your soul or the Lord of your life? Who do I resemble? Who do I model in my life? Who do I imitate? Not willingly, to be sure. If the Spirit of God has worked in your heart and opened your eyes and you saw the truth, we are compelled to come to the ocean of the grace of God and say, Lord Jesus, forgive us. We do want to imitate you. We want to conform to the image of the Son of God. Come, Lord Jesus. Empower us, strengthen us, renew us, restore us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.